values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with us. A story that broke um, the the Secretary of State, Adrian Fontes. It, it, this was an interesting change of events and how things played out. And this was a great concern for many, many people. And both of these things came true. Let me let me explain. The former Secretary of State was Katie Hobbs, who is now our governor. Katie Hobbs certified the election, and Katie Hobbs had her safety and life threatened. She became a martyr, and I don't mean this in a denigrating way. I mean that she was viewed as a martyr for protecting election integrity and protecting the will of the voters by certifying the 2020 election. She was not on anybody at the time, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened, but at the time, she was not on anybody's radar for being governor of the state of Arizona, not even people in her own party. She was an overnight hero to the Democratic Party nationally. She raised well over a million dollars very quickly, very quickly, when she said, I'm going to protect the election and I'm certifying the election and she became a hero and eventually she became governor in that same 2020 election the county recorder in Maricopa County was Adrian Fontes Adrian Fontes lost to Stephen Richer he lost the job but as the election integrity conversation went on and as we had people ripping Stephen Richer because he was a Republican saying that I've looked at the election and it was done fairly, um, ripping members of the county board of supervisors, threatening them, protesting outside of their homes, it was Adrian Fontes that stood up and said, I ran the 2020 election. It was done above board. People don't like the results, but it was done the right way. He also became a martyr for that movement, politically speaking. And also, again, became a household name, did interviews all over the state of Arizona, did interviews around the country, ran for secretary of state. So he lost the job as the Maricopa County recorder and won the job two years later to oversee elections across the entire state of Arizona. That was the political concerns of election denial. That you were going to turn off voters. Now, again, you know where I stand on the audit. I didn't believe the Arizona audit should have been done the way it was done. I thought an audit was justified. I didn't think it was done the right way. It was too partisan. And I'm a Republican. It was completely slanted for for people that believed. So you hired a company that believed the election was stolen to do exactly what you wanted them to do, which is tell you, yes, the election was stolen. They came up with no evidence. They ended up going out of business. They were in over their heads when it comes to elections, and they didn't know what they were doing. They made mistakes from day one. They made fools of themselves. They invited other like-minded politicians from across the country in like it was some kind of a show and tell. They did a documentary about a stolen election. Everything they did was wrong about that audit. And the problem is, and I mean this very respectfully, there are many people in my party that still believe that we don't have election integrity as it's needed, that the elections are are tainted. And these are good, smart people. They really are. What happens is they are lumped together with the people that are standing outside of people's houses saying we're going to affect citizens' arrests. And we uh, and Clint Hickman burned down his own barns because he fed chickens ballots. And that's when you start having everything like that happen. 
So now the election happens in 2022. There were issues in Maricopa County. There's no doubt about that. But courts have looked at this. There's still a court looking at the race for uh, for Kerry Lake, and they're going to be doing this very soon. And Abe Hamaday, I don't. I think he's exhausted everything. But if there's one person that had one complaint that was justified, it was the very small number of votes that Abe Hamaday lost by in Maricopa County. If I were him, I would still be pushing. But I want you to hear this. So I, I preface all that to say this. Here's the headline from the Washington Post. Top Arizona election official seeks campaign violation probe of Kerry Lake. The complaint... Um, it says could set up a legal showdown in the battleground state between a prominent conservative election denier backed by Donald Trump and two newly elected Democrats because Adrian Fontes, the secretary of state, is saying that when Carrie Lake tweeted <clears throat> pictures of voters signatures, she violated election laws. So he has asked the newly elected Democrat attorney general. Chris Mays, to look into this to find out if this is a, a prosecutable event or, or um, you know, um, action. Um, as part of a, a former gubernatorial candidate's grievance in January 23rd, Carrie Lake's account claimed 40,000 ballots didn't match voter signatures. Uh, the tweet included a graphic containing images of 16 voter signatures. She said, I think all the election deniers out there deserve an apology, she said in the tweet. In his letter, Fontes pointed to a state law, state law involving public inspection of voter registration records. The law says records containing voter signatures shall not be accessible or reproduced by any person other than the voter. So he is asking the attorney general to step in. Is this politics? I would say, yeah, there's a little bit of politics involved here. I think that there is no love lost between the election deniers and people. Uh, certainly, um, Adrian Fontes, and I've had conversations with him, uh, he certainly doesn't back down from a fight. He is he is a very excitable person, and that's not again not a negative. That's just an observation. He is not backing down from a fight. Well, now he runs elections in Arizona. He's been elected by the people of Arizona as Secretary of State, and he is saying that violates the law. Do I think that he takes joy in this? Absolutely, and sure he does. You know, it, it, it's but did the law was the law violated? That's going to be a question for maybe a court to decide. The problem I have is here we are again. 2020's election influenced the candidates in 2022. It was a litmus test in the Republican Party. If you did not emphatically state that the election in 2020 was stolen... You didn't get the endorsement of former President Trump, and there was no way you were going to win a primary. Now, there were two candidates, oddly enough, Republicans, that won their seats. And they were able to win their elections and never talked about election integrity. As a matter of fact, it's, this is so fascinating to me. The number one vote getter in the statewide races, the person that got more votes than any other candidate in any other race, is the treasurer, Kimberly Yee. Have no idea where she stands on election integrity or the 2020 election. No clue. She stayed away from it. She talked about the job of treasurer. She said, this is what I'm going to do as treasurer. And she didn't get involved with it. The other of all offices that switched from Democrat to Republican was the superintendent of public schools, Tom Horn. Again, 
no idea where Mr. Horn stands on election integrity. He stayed away from it. He talked about the classroom. He talked about changes to education. He talked about getting test scores up, and he stayed away from election integrity. Isn't it fascinating that the only two candidates that were not endorsed by the former president, this isn't a knock against the former president, but in order to get that endorsement, you had to be an election denier. And the only two that stayed away from being election deniers that didn't talk about whether they believe the elections were stolen or not are the two Republicans that won their seats. One of them got more votes than any other candidate in any statewide race. So now here we are into a month into 2022. We're still arguing about 2020 and now 2022. What's going to happen in 24? It's a great question, and all of these things are leading right down that road. Coming up in a moment, um, more examples of huge government waste. We're going to get to it coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. One of my favorite topics to discuss is the federal government is getting ready to levy higher taxes on businesses around the country as they preach to private industry to lower their prices to save the American taxpayer dollars. They are raising taxes while they're taking in record revenue. So I also like to point out the waste that happens as well. Uh, Just a couple of headlines. Watchdog fines over $5 billion in potential COVID relief fraud. The Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, PRAC, found 69,323 questionable Social Security numbers allegedly used to obtain $5.4 billion in COVID relief. Um, the, the other one is from the Wall Street Journal about the same one. Sketchy Social Security numbers possibly landed billions in COVID aid. This is part of the issue we continue to talk about. Um, the federal government is necessary. I'm not an anti-government person. I am an anti-big government person. I also think that by design or by nature, it isn't by design, but by nature, big government is inefficient. It, it, it's just the way that it is. Um, To simplify things a little more, I will tell you, um, when you are the business owner and you pay the bills every month, you go through them. And when you're the employee, you're less likely to be concerned. Um, The best I can do, there are people out there in work trucks right now and going to a supply house during the day as a service electrician. I had to make trips to the supply house often. And I would go in and you buy a certain amount of things. You buy them and your boss pays for them and you load them on your truck. But I was always efficient and I wanted to make sure that I didn't have uh, like an abundance of things I was never going to use. And I'm just driving around in the truck that were paid for by my boss but never sold to a customer. But that isn't always the case. I worked with guys that would have stuff that would just be there forever, and it was like cases of stuff they didn't need. Restaurants can't do it. Restaurants have to make sure they're efficient with the product they buy. It kills them to have food loss and waste, and it does in other businesses. And when you're writing the check, and you have employees that have a company credit card, you go through those credit card bills. It's not that you don't trust your employees, but it's your money. 
We don't have that in the federal government. When you're talking billions and billions of fraudulent dollars, now shame on the people that do it. We can't let them get away with this without saying shame on them. That you know, here we were in this pandemic where we had no idea what direction the world was going to take. Whether you agree with the shutdowns or you don't, here we were in the middle of this pandemic where people were afraid, and you've got other people finding out ways to scam and steal from people. It's human nature, but shame on them. When you look at the things that we've talked about just in recent weeks, this is my what works and what doesn't lecture. This is why are we not looking at the world for what it is? The government may be well-intentioned. Instead of it being always about personality where I attack the left because they're they're evil and the left attacks me because I'm evil, it's not about that. There is differences in right and wrong, not just right and left. How is it that anybody, I don't care what your political beliefs are, is in favor of a tax increase on any American while we see so much redundancy and so much waste in the federal government? We're talking just in the last few weeks, billions, possibly hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in waste by the government. If we could clean that up, it would reduce our deficit, we wouldn't have to raise taxes, and we wouldn't have to change any program. That conversation will continue about what programs are valuable and which aren't. But we wouldn't have to change any of them. The people that love the government programs that are there wouldn't lose anything, but the waste would start going away. Why is it? And I'm going to ask this question of members of Congress that I know. Why is it that we can't or don't do an audit, and I mean a public audit, of every government agency? Not to shaft people. We're not going to fire people or publicly ridicule people, but let's find out how bad it is. And then let's clean it up. And let's start there. The, the overabundance of waste in the federal government should outrage everybody on both sides of the aisle. For the people on the right that want a smaller government, we're outraged. For people on the left that would want to use that money in a way that's more effective with homelessness and hunger and with uh, medical needs, it's being wasted. Why aren't you outraged? And if you are outraged, why would you be in favor of a tax increase before they fix this? Why would you give more money to an organization? You wouldn't give, you wouldn't give more of your money, invest more money with someone that was charged with investing your money if they were wasting it and losing it. If you had an accountant that was investing for you, you had somebody that was a financial planner that invested money for you, and you send this person money every month to invest money for you. And you started looking at things and they couldn't account for where the money went and they couldn't account for what they were buying stocks for you. And then they said to you, you know what, I actually, why don't you bump it up a little bit and give me a little bit more money every month? You would lose your mind. You wouldn't do it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Coming up in a moment, we're going to go back to a topic of school choice. There is an Arizona school district with brand new leadership on the school board that is talking about what's in the classroom and starting to expose it to the public. Do you think it's right or wrong? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks so much. Um, <clears throat> they had a, an inter- interesting interview. Nick Saletti over at ABC 15 did an interview with Marisol Garcia. She is the president of the Arizona Educators Asso- Education Association, AEA. Um, and uh, I played a little bit of this earlier because uh, Miss Garcia does not like the expansion of the ESA program. She doesn't like charter schools. She doesn't think there's accountability. She doesn't think any of those things. Um, so she doesn't like the expansion of these programs, and she thinks it's bad. Um, and so I, I want you to understand where I'm coming from with this and why I think that education, the expansion of choice for parents is necessary. Um, I think it's always the right thing to do. And here's more reasons why. Um, here is a story from the Fox Business website. Parent elected to a school board leaks science curriculum that states biological sex isn't binary. So this is in the Peoria School District. It is a a, a, uh, a new uh, Heather Rooks who was elected to the school board in Peoria. Um, was going through the curriculum because she's a school board member. And she said, now on the other side, I can go back and I can ask questions. So she said, within a month of being at the school board, Rooks leaked a proposed textbook that would be used in district high schools. She said she was alarmed that the science curriculum discounted the reality of biological sex. She said, I mean, these are kids. It's not adults making adult decisions. These are children. So according to the Post... Uh, Nicole Solis of the Independent Women's Forum, the textbook said, this is a quote from the textbook, the biochemical, physiological, and anatomical features associated with males and females are turning out to be more complex than previously realized. With many genes involved in their development, we now know that sex is not a binary state with just two defined outcomes. So there is a textbook that was being proposed for usage in Peoria that says there aren't just men and women, that you can be born with, uh, what is there, 67 genders now. And this is a part of the textbooks that are being proposed in Peoria. Is it the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world. Is it an issue that many parents have? Absolutely. I'm sorry, I have no problem with an adult. If you're transgender, you want to change, whatever you want to do. Again, I have no, it's none of my business what you do with your body. I've said this forever. Tattoo it, pierce it, cut it off. I don't care what you do. None of my business. But there are two genders. And it's we just look at this in the school setting and we ask ourselves, why are children not able to read? Why can't our children perform math skills at grade level? Part of it are things like this, this politicized political conversation and argument. If you want to teach your children this, you have every right to. But other parents are saying, not my kids. So if the Peoria School District doesn't get rid of this, the parents in the district have a right to know. And the parents then can take the dollars attached to their child and send their children to school, to a school that's going to teach them not disrespect for other people and their feelings, but you aren't going to change science in the minds of some parents. You're not going to change science because some people want you to. And they have a right to do that. That's what school choice is all about. That's what this is all about. 
And um, she was asked about, now I want you to hear a little bit of this. She was asked if we were getting it right with school choice in Arizona. Here was her response. Um, I think there's a lot of accountability issues going on in charter schools. I have, um, I, a parent, um, a taxpayer, a voter, have no idea how charter schools spend their money. I have no idea what they're teaching in those classes. I have no idea who's teaching in those classes. So um, the same type of accountability to which I need to have to my students, I believe the charter schools should have as well. Isn't it fascinating that Heather Rooks is a parent in the Peoria School District that just wanted accountability in the school board and didn't get any? This is part of the parents pushing back because when the parents were seeing, A, that they had no idea what was going on, B, they weren't making any headway with people in the school boards, they were being mistreated as parents, they were not getting the results they wanted, they decided to do something about it. So here is um, this woman who decided, I'm going to run for the school board so that now I have access. And what does she do? She has access and she starts looking and starts showing people this is what these potential, this is what they're proposing as textbooks in our district. These are the things we're talking about. So when you when you talk about accountability and it's 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 almost like an offhanded comment, like charter schools don't have any accountability. We have no idea what's being taught in those classrooms. Well, this is what parents have been finding out since covid and and online learning. When kids were at home with a laptop open and parents were home too, working from home and they could see and hear what their kids were learning, it caused this pushback. So organizations like the AEA have got to concede at some level that this is why parents are doing this. Parents aren't just saying we don't like teachers and we don't like school boards and we don't like school districts. We don't want our kids going to the neighborhood school. That's just foolish. That's just unrealistic. Again, I grew up, uh, I'm still, my alma mater is still the Cypress Lake High School in Fort Myers, Florida, and we still had the same rivalries, or at least I do in my head, Um, and that neighborhood school where you live in the same neighborhoods and you ride the same school bus and you go to the same school, and I have friends that I made when I first moved to Southwest Florida in 1978, 1977, whatever year it was, and they're lifelong friends. These are people that in my adult life, when my brother was killed in Iraq, these are the people that traveled across the state of Florida to be there with my family. These are people that reach out on holidays, and we still keep in touch, and we still talk. And one of my first friends is a guy named Scott, and when I was home at Christmas time, he drove all the way down from Tampa just to have lunch, just so we could see each other. Everybody wants that kind of relationship. Everybody wants that connection. But when schools are failing and refusing to change, a parent has a choice with the dollars that are attached. That's what the expansion of ESA is about. You go on my social media page, if you go on Twitter, at Broomhead KTAR, and you will see the argument. And the one argument that's keep being made over and over and over again is this only benefits rich kids. This is so that rich kids can go to school and not have to pay full tuition. This is all about rich kids. That's the only argument they can make. It's not true, but that's the only argument against us they can make. Parents have a choice. School districts that get it right, school districts that welcome parental input, school districts that have transparency and so the parents know what's being taught and what's required of their children. The school districts that get it right have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Those parents are happy to have those children in those schools being taught by those teachers. But, but. 
the school districts like the Scottsdale Unified School District and what we saw was happening in Peoria, what we've seen in Chandler and some other school districts where parents were really being pushed back against for daring to ask questions, being told, well, you wouldn't tell your doctor how to operate on you. Don't tell us what to teach. That attitude is going to have to change because the parents in those districts now know they can take that money and their child and go elsewhere. This is about power and control, and the power and control should have always been and should always be in the hands of the parents. That's just my belief. If you want to disagree with me, you have every right to disagree, but let's have that conversation instead of I want rich kids to be able to go go to school for free. That's embarrassing if that's your argument. Coming up in a moment. Did illegal migrants refuse to leave a New York City hotel? Wait till you hear the story. Next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, here is a headline. Migrants refuse relocation from a $280 a night New York City hotel. NYPD clears encampment near Hell's Kitchen. Not the TV show, the part of Manhattan. Police are dispatched to the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of Manhattan Sunday night when a group of migrants housed in a hotel refuse relocation to a Brooklyn shelter. So I'll give you the backstory. They have a a, a, a Brooklyn cruise terminal as uh, where they were being moved to. because they have this hotel called the Watson Hotel that is being used, and they're relocating the adult males that are by themselves, relocating them to a shelter, to a migrant shelter. And they're making room because they have so many families that are coming in. They want to provide the hotel for families. The immigrants, the migrants protested and slept in the street. The New York City Police Department had to come and relocate them and get them out of the street. So not only were they protesting, I want you to hear the quote from the mayor of New York. This weekend, we began the process of moving single adult males from the Watson Hotel to Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. As we transition the hotel to meet the large number of asylum-seeking families with children, the facility at the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal will provide all of the same services as every other humanitarian relief center in the city. So this is, if nothing else, is part of the reason why um, goodwill does not flourish when it comes to this cause. So people are coming here. They're coming into the country illegally. They are overwhelming our immigration system. They are overwhelming the good people that are working at the border for trying to keep it safe and keep the drugs out and fight criminals. But instead, what they are doing is dealing with this massive wave of humanity that's coming across our border. They're not doing it the right way. They're not doing it legally by American laws. And now groups of them are being housed for $280 per room per night, taking up entire hotels. And then when the men are being relocated to a shelter, they're protesting and demanding more of their rights. Not a good look. Not a good look. 
especially when it's not that they're emptying the hotels. And it wouldn't be wrong if they did, if they said, listen, we have a shelter that's available. It's less expensive. It's climate controlled. You're going to have meals and you're going to have a place to sleep. We're not paying $280 a night for a hotel when there's a shelter available. So you're going to the shelter. There would be nothing wrong with saying that. What they're saying is we have families that are on the street that are coming to New York City that need the rooms. So the men are going to a shelter and the families are going to get the um, hotels. Now, I was told a long time ago, and I think most of us were told, that it was families that were being allowed into the country and they were turning away the single adult men. That's not the case. So this is where people get frustrated, myself included. I am as pro-immigration a person as you're ever going to find. I believe in a strong, robust immigration system here. I believe that we should be a nation of asylum, that when there is war-torn and violence-torn countries and poverty-stricken and sometimes when it's natural disasters, we should be a place of refuge for the world. I believe that to be true. Not like this. And this is where the attitude toward immigration is continuing to shift. When we, the American people, through our benevolence and our kindness, and reluctantly, many of us, but when you're in our house, when you're on our land, you're protected by our Constitution, you're cared for in a way that is more humanitarian than a lot of other places, and when you demand more after taking the kindness from the American people, the American people get frustrated and angry. When you see a story like this, I don't know how many people out there that are, that are activists on either side of this issue look at this and say that this is a good thing. It is absolutely not a good thing, and it shows you that we have a system that is completely out of control, and we've got to fix it. The mayor of New York is having to apologize to people as 50 of them laid in the street tying up traffic because they were being told you have to go to a shelter because we're going to use the hotel rooms for families, and they said no. They demanded their room service. They demanded their hotel and their cable TV. They demanded it's absurd. It's, it, it is despicable, and it should stop. And these stories need to be told more and more often until we get this sorted out. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we are going to go back to the – conversation about the economy. We had a great interview with Kristen Bentz, who is a retail analyst, and we talked about what it means to you. We're also going to talk about gas prices approaching $4 a gallon and other things that are happening. Next.